Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Today I want to talk to you from the title, When the Awakener Arrives. Turn to your neighbor and say, what happens when the Awakener arrives? John chapter 11. John chapter 11, verse 11 says this. And Jesus is, the context for this is Jesus just received the letter. And in the letter it says, um, uh, your friend whom you love is sick. He received the letter from Mary and Martha who are the sisters of Lazarus. And it says, the one whom you love is sick. Jesus receives that letter and he, um, he says this to his disciples. He says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Come on, you can say amen right there. I think that's the whole sermon right there. How many are thankful that he is the awakener? This church is awakened. We're, we're awakening, but he is the awakener, the great awakener. And I love it. I, I, I never saw this before. It's only after we change the name of the church, I'm reading it, and I say, this is what Jesus calls himself. I am the awakener. And we are the awakening, and you are the awakened. Can you say amen? Amen. And the story goes on, and he, uh, Lazarus at this point has died. And Jesus shows up right outside the tomb. And in verse 21, his sister Martha comes out to meet Jesus. And the Bible says that Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. Come on, we thank God that he is life. He doesn't just bring life. Resurrection is not just an event. Resurrection is a person. And that person has a name. And his name is Jesus Christ. And, and in our midst of our darkness and our death, in walks resurrection. And he says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And Jesus walks with her to the tomb, and standing in front of Lazarus' tomb, he begins to shout out. The Bible says he raised his voice, and he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out. His hands and feet were bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. It's the tomb of Lazarus. We know where it is to this day. We got to go there a couple weeks ago and stand in the place where Jesus shouted out that command, come forth. And we got to stand in the tomb, which is empty. He's not there. This is the only person, Lazarus is the only person with two tombs. One he left unoccupied. The other is in Cyprus. When persecution hit, Lazarus was driven to Cyprus and he became a pastor of a church and was appointed bishop. And when he died, they buried him under the crypt underneath that church. And recently they were doing excavation. They went deep, deep down into the church and 
the, the, um, the uh, legend was that he was buried down there. Well, they found a tomb right where, where, where they said it was, and the tomb is from the first century, and on it it says, Lazarus, friend of Jesus. How amazing is that? First Corinthians says this, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? Come on, can you thank God for the victory he's given us through Jesus? Amen. And so, Lord, we bring our expectation to you, God. Our hope is found in you today, Lord. I pray in this atmosphere as I speak, Holy Spirit, will you speak? That this is an atmosphere right now of faith and expectation. I pray, God, that everyone under the sound of my voice has open hearts and open ears, and and they're ready to hear what the Holy Spirit is going to speak to them specifically. I pray even for all those tuning in across the globe, live and on podcasts, God, that you're going to touch them and you're going to awaken them. I thank you, Lord, that today you are walking right into the midst of this place. I thank you, God, that today your presence is here and change is here. So we give you these next few moments in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, 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 and amen. The story begins with a letter coming to Jesus. And it's written by Mary and Martha, who are the friends of Jesus. And they had a brother named Lazarus. And there's a lot of traditions surrounding who these three people were and, and, and where they fit exactly into, um, into uh, church tradition and, and into the Gospels because they weren't disciples of Jesus as if they, they didn't follow him everywhere he went. They never became apostles. They seemed to be just three people that Jesus liked and got along with. And they were so close to Jesus That when Lazarus got sick, they sent a letter to him saying, Jesus, the one whom you love is sick. The one whom you love is ill. And I love that these sisters are so confident in the fact that they know Jesus loves him, that they don't even put his name. They don't even say, Lazarus, remember him, what you did, and you, you, you know, you healed him. We think because the church tradition states that he may have been the same person that was a leper that Jesus healed. But, but, but here's Lazarus, and, and would you mind, remember what he, there's no list of accomplishments, there's no, there's no, no certain prayers, there's no certain, there's, there's just the expectation that you love him. You love him. And, and what is so powerful about this is this holds within it the key, and you've got to understand, this is the key that unlocks the whole rest of the story, is they knew that this man, Lazarus, was a friend to Jesus. Friendship. See, within this story, we see the very reason that God sent Jesus to begin with was to extend the hand of friendship to humanity. And, and we see what that looks like on a microcosm level. Not, because we understand, like, when we say, you know, when sin entered into the earth, relationship with God was broken. There was a separation between us and God, and there was friendship no more. But, but God wanted to establish relationship. And we can understand that, that God wants to have relationship with us. We might even understand that God loves us like a father to a son or a father to a daughter. Like, like, like we're, they're of his DNA. Of course he loves them. Even if, even if he doesn't get along with them all the time, he, even if he doesn't like them, he loves them. You got some family you don't like? Not, not son or daughter, but you know, extended. You know, of course, 
Of course you love them, family. And you might even, might even understand like God loves them like you love that guy that you saw at the deli last week. Bill, love you, you're a good guy. Lay off the sandwiches. You know, like that kind of love. But this is a different kind of love. It's not a familial love and it's not an acquaintance love, it's a friendship love. That God, God could be friends with someone. And it's not connected to ministry. Lazarus doesn't do anything for Jesus. He, he, he couldn't do anything for Jesus. There's just friendship. And I don't know about you, but to me, this baffles me that Jesus would be a friend with some guy. Just some guy. And they're so confident in it. The sisters say, we know you're his friend and he's sick and he needs you because, see, friendship is there in the good times and the bad. And, and, and even today, I know that that's not an ancient letter. It's a written prayer. That's not some ancient request. That's the request many of you came into church with today. Lord, the one whom you love is sick. There's people in this place that need healing. You say, God, I know you love me, but I'm sick. I need healing. There's people in this place, you've got a sick son or daughter or, or family member, and you are writing that prayer request to God today. Lord, the one whom you love is, is sick and and. And when you come before God, I don't know about you, but this helps me see how I should come before God, not as someone who's distant and and so amazing that you could never, ever, although he is that, God opened the way to come to him and talk to him as a friend. And he proves this with Lazarus, who's just some guy, but yet is a friend with Jesus. And, And as Jesus got closer to the cross, if you notice... As if you track the progression, he kind, of, he kind of brings his friends closer and closer. And I, I love that Jesus does this because as he's fulfilling his purpose for the whole world, he's also, he's also fulfilling his purpose for his actual friends. Like it's easy for us to say, yes, Jesus died for humanity. And yes, he did, but he's also dying for Lazarus. You you notice at the end, as he goes towards the cross, he goes with Lazarus and there's his friends. But then after that, he goes to the Last Supper and that's just his his disciples. And then after that, Judas leaves and goes into the night and Jesus goes to Gethsemane with the 11. And then from the 11, he brings the three to the side. And then when he's on the cross, there's just John, his best friend, his beloved, and his mother left as Jesus is on the cross. As Jesus' purpose is getting greater and greater, his, his personal space is getting smaller and smaller. Because as Jesus was doing something for all of humanity, he had, as Jesus was saving the whole world, he got to see his world that he was saving. I got, you got to understand this. Salvation isn't impersonal. It's so personal. It's so personal. As Jesus is walking towards the cross, he's saying, I'm doing this for you, Lazarus. As he's walking towards the cross, he's saying, I'm doing this for you, Peter, and you, John, and you, Mom. It's so real. It's so human. And here's the human side of Jesus where his friend is sick and is in need of help, and it's friendship that moves Jesus. Wow. It's friendship. I thought it was law. I thought it was good works. I thought I had to act a certain way or pray a certain prayer or go to a certain priest to get to God. But Jesus says, none of that. I'm your friend. I came here for you. In fact, you were dead. Lazarus didn't write that letter. He didn't pray a prayer. He did nothing. But Jesus says, I'm going to be moved by friendship because that's what God was doing. He was moved by friendship 
for humanity, and he came to us. Thank you, Jesus. So Jesus decides, I'm going to go to Judea because my friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, and I'm going to awaken him. And his disciple says, well, if he's asleep, you don't need to awaken him. He's fine. He's not. He's not. And then Jesus says, look, he died, okay? <laughs> Disciples never get it. They're like, what are you talking about? Like, if, if, he's, if he's good, he's good. You know, you don't have to go. And he's like, all right, he's dead. Let me just make it clear. So I wonder if sometimes if Jesus, I know this isn't really true, but Jesus says like this fully spiritual thing, you know, and the disciples are like, what? And he's like, all right, forget the spiritual moment. He's dead. And he says, I got to go to, I got to go to Judea. I got to go to Jerusalem. And the disciples said, you can't go back there, Jesus. I don't know if you know this. They tried to kill you last time you were there. That was like six weeks ago. They, they picked up stones to throw at you. You can't go back there. If you go back to Jerusalem, they're going to kill you. Not only did Jesus know he was walking towards his death, everyone around him knew he was walking towards his death. They were saying, you can't go back there. They are going to kill you, Jesus. And, and you can't give up your life like that. You're too important. But here's what's so beautiful. Jesus made the decision to walk towards the cross for a friend. In other words, he was going to exchange his life for Lazarus's. Jesus exchanges his life for yours. Why? Because of friendship. He chose to do it. You couldn't deserve it. You couldn't even ask for it. It was all Jesus. And he wasn't moved by your goodness. And he wasn't moved by your church attendance. And he wasn't moved by the family or the place that you were born into. He wasn't moved by whether you're Episcopalian or Methodist or non-denominational. He was moved because he decided you're going to be my friend. I love you. What could Lazarus offer Jesus? Nothing. It's all about Jesus offering Lazarus everything. And it's amazing. Jesus says, no, I've got to go. Even if I die, I will die in exchange for Lazarus having life. It was a personal decision to go to the cross. And it was, it was I, I, I just want to get this point across. I, I, I really want, to, want you to understand this, that Jesus knew what he was doing and he made the decision to make this divine exchange. I'm going to go to the cross, but I'm going to save Lazarus in the process. He made that decision for you. And the disciples said, Jesus, they're going to kill you. And Jesus said, I know, I know, but we're going to go anyways. And Thomas said, well, okay. If he's going to go, we might as well all go and die with him. All right, Jesus, we're going with you. All right, gang, let's go die, everybody. Let's go. I don't know if you see Thomas, you read him like I do, but this dude was a character, you know? Like Jesus has this guy who's over the top in his crew. You have any friends that super exaggerate everything? and are like fatalistic, kind of negative about everything, that's Thomas. When, when, when Jesus, when the, the other disciples were saying, Jesus is resurrected, Thomas goes, I, I don't think so. Nah, I don't, think, I don't know. You know what? I'm not going to believe it until I can literally put my hand in the holes in his hand. All right, Peter? Then I'll believe it. When I can actually touch the holes in his hand, all right? Jesus shows up, says, Thomas, go ahead. And Thomas goes, nah, it, it's okay. I, I see it's you. It's all right. You know, he instantly backs down, like, no, 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 Jesus, I believe you. I don't, I don't need to. I just, I just find Thomas funny. I don't know why. I love you see the character arc of Thomas. He's growing. Give him grace. He's growing. He's a giant exaggerator, you know? All right, everybody, let's go die with Jesus, as if they all died with Jesus. Later on in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, they walk up, Thomas runs. All right, gang, let's go, go, go. Jesus is like, Thomas, I thought you were going to come. Let's go. 
Let's go die with them over the top. And so they walk towards Jerusalem and, and knowing that Lazarus is dead, he arrives and Martha comes out and she greets Jesus and, and, and she comes before Jesus. And, and I just want to reread this portion of scripture because what she says is it's so powerful. She says, when Jesus arrives, she says in verse um, uh, 20, 21, she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask, God will give you. Here comes Martha. She's grieving. She just lost her brother. More than that, they had a real good connection with the healer, and the healer didn't show up to heal. What do you do when Jesus falls short of your expectations? What do you do when God doesn't answer the prayer in the timing you wanted or in the way you wanted? What do you do when you believe and you got faith and you're a churchgoer and you prayed hard and your crew prayed hard and something bad still happened? What do you do? Here's Mary in the midst of her grief. She doesn't know the end of this story. Her brother's been dead for four days. This isn't just a small coma. This, this, this is a, a giant thing. And in the Jewish belief, resurrection was maybe possible for the first three days because the spirit in their belief was hovering over the body, ready to come back into it. And, and so, so they, they knew that they might have gotten death wrong and, and bodies could come back alive. So for three days, they would check the tomb. But on the fourth, decay had set in, so much so you weren't even able to see the face and, and tell who it was. And the odor was so real. By the fourth day, they knew there is no coming back from this. Jesus waits until there is no coming back before he shows up in the situation. He's going to do something supernatural. When death had its final victory, that's when Jesus shows up. He walks into the midst of finality and he says there's more to come. So even when it seems like it's over on earth, you have to understand in the eternal spectrum, it is not over until he says it's over. This is where our hope comes from, is that the earth is not the final resting place. This life is not the final form. That our sunset in Christ becomes a sunrise because our life here is an eternal one. Yeah, the body might not pass on, but your soul absolutely is eternal. You've got to understand what might look like a defeat on this end is a celebration and a victory on that end. I pray you have that hope. And know that Jesus walks in to the middle of the grief and the pain on this end. He walks into where Mary is grieving and she says, Jesus, where were you? You could only talk to Jesus this way if you really know him. If you have a real relationship with him. It's, if you read the Psalms, you say, man, this person must have known God because they're angry with him sometimes. She's not being fake. She's not being put on the church face. Well, how you doing, brother? I'm doing dandy, brother. How you doing? I'm doing dandier. Well, let's, let's dandy our way. Let's dandy dandy. So good. So good. Well, it's not good. What happens when it's so bad? What happens when it feels like the walls are closing in? What happens when it feels like I'm a, I'm a step away from death? Where the thing I thought was dead has come back to life in my life. What happens then? Where I thought the depression was done, or I thought the anxiety was done, or, or I thought I was done with this addiction, or I thought I was out of this situation and now it's back. What do you do when you find yourself in a situation you don't have the power or the authority to handle? What do you do? 
This is when you come to Jesus and you got to be real. And, and she can't help it. She says, Lord, if you were here, things would have been different. You could have done something. See, she still has a minute, finite view of Jesus. He had to be there physically in the moment. But Jesus is saying, I'm greater. I'm greater than the physical. I'm greater than the finite. She could only see him as a healer. He's about to reveal I'm God. It changes how you approach him. In the midst of her pain and hurt, she can't help it. The, the truth comes out, you know? You ever been so hurt that you can't help it? You're trying to get over it. You're trying to smile, but the truth comes out. This is what happens. And I got to say, I, I don't want to down Martha. We're all Martha. And I actually want to say, what a strong woman. Like Mary gets all the credit, her sister, for that time where, where Martha was getting all the food ready. And Martha says to Jesus, hey, will you get Mary in the kitchen? Will you get her to help me out? Which is such a sister conversation. <laughs> Rabbi, will you tell my sister to help? And Jesus says, no, no, she's worshiping me. And if you have to choose work or worship, choose worship. It's not that work's wrong, but if you have to choose one, this is the right thing to do. And so, man, we love Mary. We always, we lift her up. Like, she's the emotional worshiper. She gets it. But interesting, when there's a tragedy, it's the strength of Martha. It's the get-it-done nature of Martha. It's the action of Martha that begins to hold down the family and comes out to meet Jesus. Where's Mary? The Bible says she's sitting inside. She's sulking. Now she doesn't want to come to the feet of Jesus. She's a little bit frustrated with Jesus. And Martha says, I'm frustrated too, but I'm still going to make this decision. I just want you to know, whatever, whatever God's put in you, like the type of person you are, he's going to redeem that through different circumstances. And so she comes to Jesus. She said, you could have been here. But then listen to this. Here's the, here's, here's the confliction in her. She says, you could have done something, but even still, I know, you, I know something's still possible with you. I know, I know you're more than we might think you are. And you just see the glimmer of faith in this moment. And Jesus, he replies, he says, your, your, your brother's going to be risen on the last day. And, and instantly she says, I know that's true. I know it. Or he, Jesus actually says he's going to be risen. She says, I know that's true on the last day. On the last day. Here she is activating her faith, you know. She, it almost sounds like Jesus gives her a platitude. He's going to be risen. Don't worry. It's not the end. And she says, I know that's true. But here's the reality. Here's the reality. Present pain is real, even though you have a future promise. And, and, and she's, she's trying to say, I know about my future promise. I know, I know, that's true. She's, she's trying to, but she still feels this pain. And, and, and she, still, she still is in the middle of this, of this fight, this faith and this emotions. And, and, and she goes to Jesus, I know that's true, Lord, on the final day, on the final day of resurrection, you, you'll, you'll raise him again. But Jesus says, no, 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 you don't understand this. He's about to reveal something about himself. It's not just about the final day. It's not just about the way off. It's not just about the future and all that I'm going to do. I am the resurrection and the life. He reveals, I am God. I am life. Our hope is in a person. Our hope is not found in circumstances. Our hope is not found in feelings. They'll fail us. 
Our, our hope is not found in the way we think God's gonna work. There's gotta come a moment where you're at the end of yourself, you come to God and you say, God, I don't know how you're gonna do it, but I know you're the resurrection. I don't know how you're gonna get me out of this, but I know you're the life. God, I'm, I'm thirsty again, but I know you're the water. I'm hungry again, but I know you're the bread. God, I, I, I don't understand what's going on, but I know you're the covenant. I know you're the forgiver. I know you are grace and I need grace. You don't just give mercy, you are mercy. I know you. I don't understand me and I don't get this, but I know you because when it comes time to circumstances, sometimes they don't make sense, but I know your nature, God. I've met you before. In my darkest hour, it was you. When my life made no sense, it was you. When I was dead and bound, it was you. When I was forgotten, cast out, it was you. It was never me, it was always you, God. Jesus says, it is me. All you who are weary, come to me. I'm the resurrection. Our hope is a man, and his name is Jesus. 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 It's the name above all names, Jesus. Worthy is his name, Jesus. The elders throw out their crown on the, their crowns on the throne and they shout out, Jesus. Worthy is the lamb that was slain, Jesus. When you have no words left, you say, Jesus. When you're standing in that funeral home, Jesus. When your husband is incarcerated and it doesn't make sense, Jesus. When the doctor gives you a bill that is not of good health, Jesus. When you get the pink slip in your job and you're scared and you're nervous because you're the provider, but Jesus. Jesus. When I'm at the end of myself, Jesus. When mankind can't help me, Jesus. Say his name. Say his name, Jesus. 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 I'll never forget, I was in a hospital waiting room. And one of the members of our church, he died suddenly. No one was prepared for it. It came out of nowhere. And the wife was confused and trying to figure it out, and the chaos was in the hospital. And all the kids were there as well, young kids. And, and I remember I was in the midst of this situation. I've never, I've never seen something quite like this, and it didn't make sense. And at the end, when there was nothing else that could be done, the family walked out into the parking lot and I was in the waiting room and I was looking through the window and the mother gathered the children together in that parking lot and she began to pray. And at that moment, I saw a faith I've never seen in another human being. I saw a faith that was a choice, that wasn't an emotional response, that didn't make sense in the moment. That kind of faith only comes from friendship with Jesus. And she gathered her kids around in that parking lot and began to pray to the only one that could help bring any semblance of hope into that situation. And I'll never forget, I'll never forget that picture. And I pray that I can have that kind of faith, 
that in the night, I still hold on to the light. Jesus. Jesus. And we see Mary in the midst of her grief meet Jesus and and Jesus walk into the midst of the grief. I just want you to know, Jesus is not against your emotions. He's not against grief. He's not looking for you to be fake. He walks into the darkest moment of your life and sometimes he'll just cry with you. Isn't that amazing? The shortest verse in the whole Bible, yet it says the most, is found right here. It says he looked at the crowd. He saw Mary. He saw the effects of sin and death. And the Bible says that Jesus wept. God. God wept. That doesn't make sense. God's supposed to be far off. God's supposed to be in a high place. God's supposed to be just, just. And, and, and he's supposed to be just, just incredible, amazing, awesome. That, that's God. But for God to weep, this was written to the Greeks. They believed that, that, that God had no emotions because emotions were something that someone else could cause within you. And that means they would have power over you. And so when John writes this to the Greeks, he's saying, no, he is all powerful and still gives himself over to vulnerability. He mourns with those who mourn. What a God. What a God. What a Savior. He's with you in your most dire moments. And more more than that, he doesn't come in and say, come on, get your faith up. He'll get right in there and say, I know faith is hard, but I'm with you in this. You're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but you don't have to be under a spirit of fear. I'm with you. The Bible says that indignation rose up in Jesus, almost almost a sternness. The image, the Greek image here is almost what a horse does with with, through its nostrils, because that's what rose up in Jesus. What was it? It was an anger against death. He saw up close and personal. See, when Jesus died to conquer death, he didn't just do it for the world. He did it for Lazarus. He did it for his friends. He saw the effects of sin and death. He saw the emotions and it affected him. He begins to weep, but something rises up in Jesus and he says, I'm going to put an end to this because he's the master over death. A a, a sternness rises up. A a, a power rises up. It's almost a picture of a boxer hyping themselves up to get in the ring, not even to make it like this incredible moment, but just to show that there was a face-off and death lost. Jesus comes to the tomb, and he rises up, and he begins to shout this famous word, Lazarus, come forth, because he has the authority and the ability to bring life out of death. And I I could preach about this to you. I I mean, I, I could preach about it saying he could bring the dead things into your life alive, and that's true. He he could bring dead dreams alive. He, He could bring dead relationships alive, and that's true. But this was a real death. This was an actual death. This wasn't allegorical. This was real. And he stands before actual death, and he says, Lazarus, calls him by name because one day he's going to hear he's going to call your name you're going to hear Jesus call your name come forth and he rescues Lazarus out of death he reaches into the grave and pulls him out it's beautiful that Jesus walks down into this cave because just a couple weeks later Jesus was going to walk down into the tomb walk down into death but he was going to come out with the keys of the kingdom and life forevermore for you and for me 
and for all those that follow him. Lazarus come forth and the Bible says the dead man got up and crawled out from underneath his tomb. And this is so powerful and this is amazing. And, and I want you to know Jesus still does this. He, he, brings, he brings life out of death and he will do it with all those that are his followers. He does it physically, but he does it spiritually. He calls you out of spiritual deadness. And we love this part, you know. And we want to celebrate this part. We want to sing about this part. We want the choir to shout at this part. We want to to shout and jump over the fact that I was dead, now I'm alive. And we should, and that's so powerful. And that's called salvation. And I think it's worthy of celebration. But do you know, that's only going to happen once in your life. Once spiritually and once physically. Only once does God bring you that moment of salvation where he calls you out of spiritual deadness. The whole rest is a process. And so I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for those that he saves in a moment, that he pulls out of addiction in a moment, that he, he, he arrests and takes back from death, sin, the grave, and the torment that goes with it. He does it in a moment, and I'm so thankful, and we want to sing, and we want to shout, and yes, we want to put those stories up, and that's so beautiful, but can I tell you, for me, the most powerful part of this story is what he says next, unwrap him and let him go, because what good would it be? If you're alive, but still bound. What good would it be if you could breathe, but you couldn't move? If you had healing, but you didn't have wholeness? What good would it be if you were forgiven, but you didn't have freedom? See, here's the beauty of Jesus. He does it all the way through. He brings forgiveness and freedom. He brings liberty for the captives. He exchanges beauty for ashes. He takes off the garment of mourning and he puts on a garment of praise. He brings out the captives with singing and with dancing. What am I saying? I'm saying he's the Messiah. He's the one that we've been waiting for. He's the hope of the world. He's the one we put our belief in and he doesn't leave it done halfway in our life. He'll bring us from death all the way through into life. And the part maybe we don't shout about or sing about enough is the process of being unwrapped. Can I be honest with you? It takes a long time to be unbound. And it's amazing, Jesus, he calls life into that grave because that's what only God can do. But Jesus doesn't physically unwrap Lazarus himself. He says to the the people next to him, the other friends of Lazarus, the, the servant leaders in the tomb, you unwrap him and let him go. He didn't say this just to Lazarus. He said it to the spirits and to the people in that room. Unwrap him and let him go. What am I saying? I'm saying Jesus provides salvation, but sanctification happens in community. It happens in friendship. It happens in church services. It happens at a conference. It happens at a moment in worship. It happens when you're reading your Bible and something jumps out to you and and all of a sudden, wow, that changed my mindset. See, Jesus, he'll unwrap you of poverty mindsets. He'll unwrap you of addictions. And yeah, it might take six months, six years, but be But know this, he'll be faithful to you. If you'll be faithful with him, he's going to unwrap you of those old ways, of those old things. He's not going to leave you bound after he brings life. Because he's faithful all the way through. This is friendship. Yeah, friendship is being there in the darkest moment, but it's also being there through the journey out of the dark moments. 
God brings the right people around you. You're in this church for a reason. And I, I was thinking about why do people go to church? You know, the, yesterday I took a walk down to a Catholic church. I was looking at the cross. It's beautiful, you know, and I was saying, why do people go to church? And I really felt the Holy Spirit say to me that people go to church to help and be helped. To help and be helped. And isn't it amazing that we're usually one or the other depending on the week? Sometimes you need to be unwrapped. Other times you're helping with the unwrapping. And Jesus is faithful through it all. It's what crews are. It's what this altar is. You might never come to this altar until you really need freedom for something. And then nothing can stop you. you say, well, they might look at me weird. Well, they might say something odd. You say, I'm getting to the altar. Because I'm sick of living this way. I'm sick of being bound. You know the interesting thing about bondage? It came on Lazarus when he was dead. There was nothing he could do about it. You become bound when you're spiritually dead. It was in your spiritual deadness that poverty pounced. It's when you were spiritually dead that lustful addiction or a spirit of divorce, a spirit of adultery pounced. It's when you were spiritually dead that things got on you that you could never have the power to break off. You couldn't move. And these things just wrapped you in, your, in darkness and it wrapped you in death. But Jesus came to bring life and freedom all the way through. And freedom is a process. And a process takes time. And he's with you all the way through that incredible process. Why? Because he's a friend to sinners. What a savior. What a savior. I think God brought you here for a reason today. Maybe you are spiritually dead and you need to hear that phrase spoken into your spirit. Rise up. Come forth. Stand up. It's time to be released from sin, death, and the grave. But maybe you're here today and you've been coming every three months or every year. Maybe you come every single week. You've been coming for 30 years. God still has more unwrapping to do with you. And here's the beauty of, here's the beauty of Jesus. He isn't against that process. He commanded it. You know what I'm saying? Because shame wants to come on you 10 years into it and say, man, I should be done dealing with this now. I should be over with this now. Are you kidding me? 20 years, I'm still dealing with this. I'm still hurt from this thing that they said to me in sixth grade. I'm still thinking about it. Every night, I'm getting these images in my mind still. And you might want to say, there's something wrong with me. No, you're just in a process. And the voice of Jesus is saying, unwrap them again. Unwrap them again. Unwrap them again. Unbind them again. Keep going. Keep going. Release is coming. Let them go. Let him go. He speaks to the spirits in your life. Let them go in the name of Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.